Right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Today is our Thanksgiving Day. But the past week has been quite a distressing week for me, and, and I'm sure same for many of you as well. Now, all we have seen the whole week on the news was about the shooting incident in Las Vegas. Of course, with the responses from many leaders, including, of course, the president himself. Most of the responses were quite, I think, it's insultingly ridiculous. I felt angry, frustrated, and a bit despair about what, why such kind of mass killing can become a normalcy. I mean, why people with power and authority continue to let these things happen. And then, here and now, we are at Thanksgiving. So in the midst of all these news and, and craziness in the world, how are we going to celebrate Thanksgiving? What are we giving thanks for? At this moment of your life, if I'm going to ask you to name a few things that you would give thanks about, what would that be? And Pastor Gilbert just mentioned about the prayer retreat and uh, the insert you have. What would you write down? Perhaps I should rephrase my question. How, how do you normally decide what to give thanks for and what not? How do you determine what is worth giving thanks for? And what we can just take it for granted? I hope you understand my question. In our daily lives, how do we draw a line? How do we decide what to be thankful about and what not? As we pray to God with thanksgiving, what are likely the things that you pray about? Although thanksgiving is not something that's theologically sophisticated, it's nevertheless not very natural to be a thankful, a truly thankful person. That's why some, some of the most well-known Thanksgiving psalms would begin with a call to the psalmist himself to bless God. For example, a very familiar song, psalm, Psalm 103, begins like this. Praise the Lord my soul. All in all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord my soul. Forget not all his benefits, and then he started to count his blessings, including who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Just a few examples of his thanksgiving items. But the most interesting thing in this psalm is that the psalmist is calling none other than himself to give thanks to God. Praise the Lord, my soul. Bless the Lord, my soul. We need to forget not. We need to remember the goodness of our God. Especially when all around us are news that tells us how bad our world is. That we tend to forget that this is still the Father's world. Just like the psalmist, we need to regularly call ourselves back into thanksgiving. 
because it is easy for us to base our thanksgiving on our subjective experience. It is easy to base our thanksgiving on our satisfactory level in life. When things turn bad, then we forget. If subjective experience and personal satisfaction are our basis in thanksgiving, then we are setting ourselves up for temptation to judge God's faithfulness and goodness by our own subjective standards. Has God met my needs today? We would be tempting God Himself when we measure His goodness, His power, or even His presence with what happens to us and around us. We need to forget not that even though God does not follow our desires to act, He is still our God. In fact, when God does not act according to our will, He is essentially telling us that only He Himself is sovereign. When God does not act according to our will, He is calling us to let go of our desire to try to manipulate Him into being our servant. And then learn to submit to His will and revelation instead. True thanksgiving happens when we approach God through how He revealed Himself in the Bible. True thanksgiving happens when we see God as loving as well as fearsome. When we seek God's gracious love as well as His commanding majesty. A thankful person must also be a God-fearing person. So one of the ways that God designed to help His people to give proper thanks to Him was the establishment of various festivals. In biblical history, the way God's people celebrated festivals was in fact a good indicator of their spiritual condition. Throughout the history, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are a few times that people were going increasingly wrong in the way they celebrated festivals in which it required God to intervene. Now today, I'm going to focus on the history of the festival of tabernacles, which is the closest thing to our Thanksgiving day. Let's read this passage first. And uh, Werner, I'm going to ask Werner to read this very ancient passage to us. It's actually from Exodus and also Leviticus. From Exodus 23, celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the 15th day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord. The burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbaths and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the freewill offerings you give to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, 
after you have gathered the crops of the land. Celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Thank you, Werner. After listening to the word of God, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you. We just, for this privilege to read this very ancient passage that you have faithfully and, and miraculously preserved to us to read. And we pray that your word will penetrate into our hearts and, and, and transform us. And that as we read, as we study your word, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to be obedient people of yours and to be good witness of our Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And although there is a time difference between the Canadian Thanksgiving and the American one, the tradition and nature are essentially the same. Historians believe that Thanksgiving was originally a religious observance as part of the celebration of harvest for agricultural society. As Thanksgiving, um, well, as such, Thanksgiving was a major festival which was still observed even during wartime. Now, this is a picture taken in 1918 during the end of World War I. In it, you, see, you can see, uh, well, there are people here, okay? Uh, this is actually, they're, they're the Canadian troops. They were holding a Thanksgiving service in a ruined church in northern France. So this shows how important Thanksgiving Day was. In many cultures around the world and throughout history, Thanksgiving was almost universally tied with celebration of harvest. We can find such tradition in China. We just had our mid-autumn festival, Mooncake, last week. In Europe, in, in Egypt, in, in even ancient Canaan. Most ancient cultures established their calendars based on agricultural cycles. In the Old Testament time, it's believed that such celebration of harvest as Thanksgiving already existed during the time of Abraham. And after leaving Egypt in Exodus, God also commanded the Israelites to celebrate harvest as a thanksgiving to their God, Yahweh. This command was recorded in Exodus 23. We just read that. It goes like this. Three times a year, you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, which is the festival of Passover. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. And then the second one. Celebrate the festival of harvest. This is actually Pentecost. 
with the first fruits of the crops you sold in the field, then the third one. Celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year. This is actually the festival of tabernacles. When you gathered in your crops from the field. So as you can see, the festival of tabernacles was not associated with tabernacles or tents in the first place. It's actually called the festival of ingathering, a very agricultural term. This time in the year, it is, is in the fall, which is around November, uh, October, which is the time right now. If you look at the second festival mentioned in this passage, it's the festival of harvest. As I said, it was also the festival of Pentecost. This only refers to the harvest of the first fruits, which means that uh, the harvest just begins. So this happens 50 days after uh, Passover. So within around April, May. Whereas the last one, Festival of Ingathering, happens at the end of the harvest cycle, which means that the harvest is complete and installed, waiting for the cold winter to come. So the Festival of Ingathering marks the completion of the harvest cycle. And there's no better time than this, to give thanks to Yahweh, the God of providence. But unfortunately, mankind tends to be self-centered, and it's easy for us to be preoccupied with our needs and desires. As a result, the drive to satisfy our needs have begun to override our duty to give thanks to God. In, the middle, in, in most of the Middle Eastern uh, ancient cultures, the thanksgivings to God for harvest have been overthrown by the desire to receive more future harvest. Whatever they have ingathered were theirs already. Those ingathered harvest was considered to be a thing of the past. The focus on such festival has changed from giving thanks to God for what they have received in the past year to praying for blessing of crops for next year. The sense of thanksgiving has diminished, and the drive to ask for more has become the predominant theme. The offering to, give, to thank God has become an offering to bribe or manipulate God for more blessings to come. The festival of ingathering of Israelites was established in this type of cultural environment. Israelites had always faced the temptation to betray the original meaning of their God-ordained festivals and to exchange them for something else that serves their own needs and desire. To turn from thanksgiving to God to asking more from God. God has been demoted from the host of the festival to the servant of men. This common phenomenon is called secularization, or I would call it despiritualization. It takes our focus away from glorifying God to satisfying us. It happens in the ancient time, it also happens in the modern time. Our culture is no different than the Canaanite culture. It aims to get rid of all the spiritual elements of our festivals. It's Christmas, Easter, 
thanksgivings are all becoming less and less related to God and to Jesus. The world's objective for festivals is to bring people satisfaction and joy. Our culture tries very hard to redefine and reorient our Christian festivals. Some sociologists have noticed an irony that the most spiritual festival of our days is in fact Halloween. We are in a world that we can talk freely about and, and celebrate demons and zombies, but not God or Jesus. So what happens then when we turn our focus of festival from thanksgiving to God to satisfying our own needs? The result is idols. We will start to see idols in different aspects of our lives. So back to the book of Leviticus. In order to make sure that his people won't fall into such temptation of idolatry, God decided to strengthen the original meaning of festivals and to add more spiritual meaning to them. So in Leviticus 23, God talked through Moses to the Israelites once again about festivals. He said, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. The seventh month in Jewish calendar is about the same time of our October, so it's right now. As a result, the festival of tabernacles here is the same festival which was known as the festival of ingathering previously in Exodus. This year it began on October 4th, last Wednesday, and ends on October 11th, the coming Wednesday. So we're right in it. Although in the book of Exodus, it says that it happens at the end of the year, if you remember that. It says it happens at the end of the year, and here is the seventh month. They are nevertheless the same festival. It's because, as confusing as it was, there were at least four kinds of calendars used by Israelites. So it really depends on which one you're referring to. So here, God has not only changed the name of the festival, but also changed the focus of it from ingathering of harvest to tabernacles or tents, from what signifies the end of the agricultural cycle to what symbolizes God's deliverance of Israelites from Egypt. At the end of this passage, God actually gave the reason of renaming this festival to tabernacles. God said, live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in the temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God renamed the festival of ingathering to the festival of tabernacles in order that the Israelites, generations after generations, to forget not that Yahweh is their God of deliverance. God does not need to prove himself to his people annually through the agricultural cycle because he has already proven himself as their God in Exodus deliverance. So now let's reflect a bit on how thanksgiving to God can go wrong. If thanksgiving to God is dependent upon the annual harvest, 
then it would mean that God would have to prove himself to his people every year that he is still faithful and mighty. This way, God is constantly being judged on our circumstance. I don't know how many of you make a living as a salesperson. If we thank God like this, God will be like a salesperson, that he has to meet his annual quota to justify his existence. This attitude towards God is horribly wrong and could become idolatry. So the festival of tabernacles came into play. It existed to remind God's people that even though their livelihood was somehow dependent on the agricultural cycle, they were to remember God through an already accomplished deliverance back in the days when they left Egypt. As the Israelites celebrated the festival of tabernacles, their thanksgiving was no longer based on the amount of harvest they received in a particular year, but on the fact that they were a people that was brought out from Egypt to the promised land, regardless of how much crop they ingathered at that time. They could establish their basis of thanksgiving on a particular event rather than on an ever-changing cycle. So how are we doing in our thanksgiving? What is our thanksgiving about? Do we just look at our lives and see what makes us well and then we praise God for those things? What if we're not well? How can we remain sincere and authentic in our thanksgiving when we are going through the darkest valley in our lives. Learning from today's passage, we need to base our thanksgiving on nothing other than what Jesus has done on the cross in Calvary. Without the cross, how much would our house, our car, our job mean to us? But with the cross, even though we don't have our dream home, our dream car, dream job, or even we don't have our health, we can still have a very legitimate and unshakable reason to give thanks and praises to God. In the midst of our struggles and lack, we can still give thanks to God for He has paid the ransom fully for our sins. As we set our thanksgiving upon the cross, we would be able to turn the wave and start to re-spiritualize or de-idolize our festivals. Put it simply, we are to restore what festival is supposed to be. Back to the book of Leviticus. Other than renaming the festival, were there any other provisions that helped the Israelites to maintain the God-centeredness of the festival of tabernacles? Of course, there are, there are many. First, God has designed the festival of tabernacles to be the longest celebrative event in the year. In verse 16, God said, For seven days present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day hold a sacred assembly and present a, good, a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. The Festival of Tabernacles is an eight-day celebration. They do offerings in the first seven days and then a closing special assembly on the eighth day. 
This is by far the longest festival in the Jewish calendar. Even longer than Passover, which is a seven-day celebration. Imagine we spend eight consecutive days in worship and focusing on God and nothing else. Is it possible? It's not impossible, I think. I mean, people can spend eight consecutive days on Korean drama. I mean, then why not on God, right? Second prohibition. It is that during the first seven days of the Festival of Tabernacles, there involves a lot of different kinds of offerings. Here's how God prescribed it. There are the Lord's appointed festivals. The burnt offering, grain offerings, sacrifices, drink offerings. Wow, I mean, don't drive. Required for each day. And these offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbath and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed and all the free will offerings you give to the Lord. Put it simply, it's just a lot of offerings in that eight-day festival. More than any other festivals. And take note that most of the offerings here are not for the forgiveness of sin. No. It's because five days prior to the Festival of Tabernacles every year is Yom Kippur, which is a day of atonement. So sins have already been dealt with on that day, unless over that five-day period you can commit a lot of sins. As a result, most of the offerings during the Festival of Tabernacles were related to thanksgivings only. The purpose, obviously, is to put emphasis on God himself, rather than on our needs. It's about giving out, not asking anything back. Offering is about setting our mind to please God, rather than to be pleased by God. Last provision. As you can tell by the name of the festival, it's to go camping outside for seven days. I mean, maybe Pastor Brian should consider another camping during this time of year next year, right? As if you don't have enough camping to do. This passage, we've already read it, so, so I'm not going to read it again. Okay. The tent in the ancient time is like this. It's called sukkah in, in Hebrew. But nowadays, you can of course go online to buy a DIY sukkah kit, like the one in the picture here, this one is called a deluxe sukkah. Deluxe. Not sure if we have Wi-Fi access. It's good for eight people, I think standing up. <laughs> Selling at $750 Canadian dollars plus tax on sukkahmartcanada.com. It says you can get it assembled in 15 minutes. But now... Many, many Jews living in Israel nowadays, they have tents like this, I guess. I mean, it looks to me a lot of unauthorized building structures here. I mean, maybe I, I should talk to Deacon William, our in-house expert for building bylaws, <laughs> to learn more about this. The significance of living in tents for seven days is multifaceted. First, living in tents means that you have to step away from your daily routine, from all the distractions in life, 
and to allow yourself to focus solely on God. The only way we can magnify God is when we leave behind our own self-centeredness. More significantly though, tents and tabernacles represent God's presence. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, the tabernacle was where God made himself present. So living in a tent symbolically means that you are stepping out of your self-orientation and into God's presence. But unfortunately, for such a meaningful festival, it's also a festival that the Israelites failed to observe correctly the most throughout their history. It's worse than Passover, worse than Pentecost. The festival of tabernacles suffer a lot of modifications by Israelites. Now entering the New Testament world, the time of Jesus, the festival of tabernacles once again faced an enormous threat of being secularized by the prevailing culture. In the time of Jesus, the festival of tabernacles once again turned to the needs of men instead of thanksgiving to God. We probably haven't noticed this change when we read the New Testament because we lack such background. During the intertestament period, the period between Old Testament and New Testament, the few hundred years there, the religious leaders in Israel, in, in Israel had invited, invented, sorry, had invented and implemented a ritual for the festival of tabernacles. This ritual is called water, water drawing ceremony, or simply water ceremony. I mean, you can Google it, you, you can see it on YouTube. In each of the first seven days of the festival, the priest will take a golden jar, empty golden jar, beginning from the temple, which is here in the temple, and go all the way to the pool of Siloa, which is here. This is the pool of Siloam. So it's a downhill way to go down from the temple to the pool of Siloam. After filling the golden jar with, with water, the whole, it's actually a whole gang going from the temple to the pool and then going back. The whole gang, including a lot of uh, Levites, uh, the temple choirs and so on, they will go back to the temple in a very exuberant manner. They will be singing, they will be playing instruments on their way back. Upon arriving the temple, the priest would carry the jar of water and pour the water into the, wa- the washing basin near the altar. This is a symbolic act as a way to pray for rain for the next agricultural season. So this ritual is performed in each of the first seven days. And the interesting thing is that, in Jesus' time, the most popular event during the whole festival of tabernacles was not the various offerings, not the camping, but this water ceremony. And it means that the focus of the festival had turned back from appreciating God to satisfying oneself. I want more. Next year, please give me more. So the Gospel of John has recorded the very interesting saying of Jesus, in which without the background of this water drawing ceremony, it would be hard for us to grasp 
the significance of it. In John 7 it says, On the last day, and most important day of the festival, it doesn't say which one, but at the beginning of this chapter, it does specify it is the festival of tabernacles. So this is the eighth day. Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Whoever is thirsty needs water should come to me. And whoever believes in me should drink. As the scripture says, streams of life-giving water will pour out from his side. God's people at Jesus' time, once again, had betrayed the intent and purpose of the festival of tabernacles. Turning it into a ritual that attempted to manipulate God instead of glorifying him. So on this most important day of the festival, the eighth day, Jesus attempted to restore the meaning and purpose of the festival and turn people back to genuine thanksgiving instead of self-gratification. Jesus tried to drive people's attention away from the water of the water-drawing ceremony to the living water that Jesus the Messiah was offering. The world once again tried to secularize or despiritualize the Thanksgiving Day of the Jews. Jesus once again tried to re-spiritualize this meaningful event. And he said, streams of life-giving water will pour out from his side. When did that happen? It is also in the Gospel of John that we found the answer. On the cross, as Jesus said, it is finished. And then he breathed his last breath. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water from his side. Streams of life-giving water will pour out from his side, refers to the death of Jesus on the cross. It is the death of Jesus that ensures God's plan to save us is finished. On the last day of Jesus' last festival of tabernacles on earth, Jesus called all of God's people to turn back from approaching God for self-gratification to giving thanks to God for his grace and mercy that was so evident on the cross. Resist secularization of our Christian, Christian traditions and take those opportunities such as Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving to focus on God magnify Him and give all thanks and praises to Him and Him alone. So how are we going to celebrate Thanksgiving today or tomorrow? As we celebrate this festival of tabernacles of our days, let's not be conformed to the world, but be transformed into Christ's image. May God's Word today transform us, restore us, and renew us so that we would base our thanksgiving to God on the cross. And in that, we might be able to exhort one another, just like the psalmist said. Can you read with me on this? One, two, and three. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my innermost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits. 
Can you read with more excitement? One more time. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits.